thank you very much juan molina for coming on the podcast i greatly appreciate it brother how you doing yeah, i'm doing good uh woke up a little earlier today than expected but i guess that was pretty good for the uh the podcast you're not getting super tired for me <laughs> cool man uh i'm glad that you're here we've been wanting to do this for years uh the first podcast i ever 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 recorded was in 2012 in your room i remember do you remember that mm-hmm. do you was, uh, I don't even remember what we were trying to do or if we came up with a name or what. I don't think we had a name or anything. I think we just wanted to talk about the master. Yeah, it was just an excuse to talk about the master, for sure. <laughs> and uh, I, I remember that very well. And, uh, yeah, I know when you and Dave had uh, Back Beyond going on, I really wanted to be a guest because I thought you two were really funny. So I'm glad you brought that, the podcast back. So I, can be I mean, honest. I have to. It's, it's really like uh, it's the one of the only things I've ever made that I got positive feedback with everything that I make people are like, eh, but with a podcast, people really seem to like it. So maybe it's something I'm good at. I don't know. Uh, but I really enjoyed doing back beyond with Dave. It was fun. I wish we kind of, uh, I feel like we're like a TV series. that got canceled in a way. Like we didn't get a finale. We, we didn't have a chance to wrap it up like the George Lopez show style, but uh, it was fun doing it. So I don't, I don't think Dave listens to these. But if you, if you are listening to this, uh, let's do one more back beyond and, and end it uh, yeah. together the way we yeah, started the, it. The cast reunion special uh, would be good. Uh, that that would be cool, man. But uh, it, it's good to hear your voice. Um, we we rarely get to talk, and just so the listeners kind of have um, some insight, uh, Jr. and I became friends in 2012. We both come from relatively the same hometown the Rio Grande Valley we both moved to Austin and movies kind of brought us together so I I was a filmmaker he was a filmmaker so we had a lot in common from the get but um, JR has since moved to greener pastures in New York City which is pretty amazing and uh, I'm still here in Austin but we try to catch up any chance we get man so I'm glad you're able to come on the show we can finally have a a discussion about some nerd shit (laughs) Yeah, I hear that. No, but to uh, put a little bit more background, I always found our, our friendship pretty funny because uh, I met you online when you were trying to promote her doppelganger on the film mm-hmm. forums or whatever they were called. And uh, mm-hmm. and I remember you moved to Austin and I was pretty excited to meet you. And we met and then that was probably like the the only time we were in the same like place for like a like an extended amount of period. So we would yeah. hang out quite, quite a bit because the second time you moved to Austin... I just felt like you were busy 24-7 because you were working that job. And then you were also always on the bus, it seemed like. <laughs> so you were always <clears> kind of busy. And I was I was working dominoes at the time, too. So it shows you how much things can change, like, in a relatively small time. Where when we were younger, I think we had, like, nothing but free time. And then when we were older, I think, I think it was much harder for us to hang out if it wasn't, like, WrestleMania or something. Yeah, that's part of life, you know. Uh, I've been thinking about that, too, um, in terms of... When I was younger, I was listening to Joe Rogan and Theo Vaughn just the other day, and Theo Vaughn was talking about, man, I, he he really missed the good old days when he was young, young, dumb, and full of cum. And uh, I don't really put my youth on a pedestal, man. Like I couldn't wait to be taken seriously and and to have the uh, responsibilities that I have right now. Uh, and I look at the free time that I had back in the day, and I do more with one hour being a busy dude with you know being a father and all that stuff than i did with 24 hours being a single dude in an apartment in austin so 
but I know what you mean, man. We used to definitely hang out more. We used to go to the movies. I remember one of the best cinematic experiences uh, I've had was watching Life of Pi, oh, and yeah. uh, I saw it with you, and it was it was it was an, an amazing experience, and I needed it. I definitely needed it. Um, but yeah, man, those those were the good old days, and now we're off. You know, being adults, I guess. You know, I'm I'm 30 years old, and how many birthdays have you had? Uh, 26, which still feels a little surreal, but it's pretty cool. I'm in my my late 20s now, I guess, sort of. Not really, but kind of. I became I became a father at 26. Oh, so <laughs> I will say, like, I feel like 25 to 30 goes by a lot faster than 21 to 25. So uh, enjoy it, man. Whatever it is, whatever whatever spots you want to hit, man. I mean, hit them while you can, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but uh, yeah. So so what's uh, new with you? Have you have you seen any recent movies or anything like that? I always see on Instagram. No. Well, one thing I did want to say is I, I feel like there's a perception. And, you know, obviously I perpetuate it, um, but I think the internet makes things way louder than they certainly appear to be. And there's a perception that, like, I'm very, very busy all the time. And I don't know if it's an excuse for other people, so I'm kind of putting you on the spot, but other people, other friends, and even family tell me, like, well, Knives, you look so, you look so busy, so I, I don't want to call you, and, you know, I, I blah, 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 blah. And it's like, I don't think anybody's ever that busy. You know what I mean? And I always have time for, for friends and family. Like that's, that's the whole point of life, you know? So I always hear that quite a bit. And just, just a cousin of mine yesterday was her birthday and she was like, well, I never want to call you because you know, you just seem so busy. And it's like, man, I think the internet makes things look more chaotic than they really are. Like not really much has changed like for most humans, I think. But, uh, having said that, um, as far as, movies i don't like i don't go to the movies too often like it takes a lot for me to want to go out and see something i used to be able to just watch everything like i think in 2000 and uh four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve i saw everything i saw all the movies old and new like i was caught up on the old stuff i was watching new stuff as it was coming out and uh, now i and it sucks because i think this is ignorant on my part but like with music, I want to know what's going on. Like I care about the quote unquote trends or whatever it is that's happening with music. I, I want to be in the know when it comes to music. And I'm always trying to broaden my horizons with that. With movies, I got about 50 filmmakers that I love and I pretty much am just religiously devoted to them. Like if David Lynch comes out with something new um, or Steve McQueen or a Tarantino or somebody like that or even a Steven Spielberg, like I'm going to watch it. But all this new stuff, like, I really, I I do have to manage my time wisely. Like, I can't just watch, I can't take chances. Like, I'm not going to watch Venom. It's not important to me. <laughs> and I'm not going to watch it because I want to be a part of the conversation. Like, I also, I don't care enough about that either. It's not worth the time. It's not worth the money. And quite frankly, like, movies are, I, I love film, but movies are a very indulgent medium. And it's very selfish to give your undivided attention to a film. And so it takes a lot for me to want to do that. Um, I Last year, I maybe went to the movies 10, 15 times, which is more than the average person, but nothing compared to most cinephiles. So I, I, I stay informed with the conversation. I know what's going on, but it's kind of like a... 
It's like I watch the ESPN highlights. Like I might not have a football team per se. I might not watch every game from my team, but I know what the score is. I know what the spread is. I know what everybody's doing. I pay attention to the college scene, which is like the independent scene of filmmaking. Like I have my fingers on the pulse. Like I'm always going to be like that. But there's a lot of movies like, you know, I, I just found out that Paul Schrader did First Reformed. And that's interesting yeah. to me. I, I want to watch that. I haven't seen a trailer about it. I don't know jack shit about it. I'm interested because I think he's one of the guys, but it just never really came into my bubble, you know? So uh, that's something I did want to talk about really is is that idea, uh, is that part of filmmaking, like the kind of uh, the, the, the consumption of it. Like it's really fascinating to me. But to answer your question, like as far as seeing anything new, I don't know, man. Like uh, I've been watching a lot of, serialized television because that's another thing like in my household we all share the television you know so it's fiona's turn it's aiden's turn it's claire's turn it's my turn and when i want to watch something like if it's too if it's too rated r i can't watch it right so uh i, I live right next to a, a dollar theater and wait, i try wait, to sneak I, out when i, I can and, and i try to sneak out when i can and watch uh something that like uh, we last time we talked, we, we mentioned Damien Chazelle's First Man, yeah. and I don't know if I think it came and went at the dollar movies, but little things that I miss that I want to snipe and watch, I, I I wait for them to to come there to that theater and I'll watch them. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, 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 no. I was just gonna ask, have you shown uh, Aiden Kill Bill? I was just because you were talking about rated R movies. Before I met him, he had already seen it, so that's okay. yeah. He he was pre- he was pretty familiar with it, but we did wa- we have watched it recently. Okay, I was just wondering. I even watched it semi recently with my mom as well, which was fun. It's funny thinking about like rated R because I think I think me and you were kind of similar where we watched rated R movies before we probably should have. Like I think I saw South Park bigger, longer, and a cut when I was like eight or nine years old. (laughs) Yeah, and then then, same. uh, You know, I think I saw RoboCop a little too young, and that movie did scare the crap out of me. I I, like I Mm -hmm. feel like I'm still scarred from that shootout scene (laughs) that very early on in that movie. But, uh, you know, it's a good movie, though. You know, so. like, I, we don't have, like, a you can't watch this, you can't watch that when it comes to my house. Like, I don't care if it's a language thing, if it's a violence thing. But it's really more about, like, something that's inappropriate. Like, it's the context of things. Like, I can't even watch the Eric Andre show at my house because it just oh. it's just too much for people. It's too extreme. But I can watch Game of Thrones and I can see someone's, like, face smashed in and their teeth on the floor. You know what I mean? So it's it's kind of confusing to me. Like I don't know why that's more acceptable than like an Eric Andre, but uh, but as far as films, man, like uh, I've been wanting to watch The Favorite, and I've been wanting to catch up on all kinds of things. I never even saw that second uh, Lanthimos movie. How was it called? Um, Killing of the Sacred Deer. Yeah, I, I never even saw that. You know, so there's a lot of stuff I want to catch up on, but but mostly if it's to stay in the loop and be a part of the conversation, I, I don't really have a use for it to be honest. Like. When I first got into films, I like hardcore. It, it was like as a student, you know. So I saw Orson Orson Welles, and I saw a bunch of John Ford movies, and I saw Hitchcock stuff. And I was really trying to understand the craft and the form, and like why people make the decisions that they make. And I had a very analytical mind when it came to that. And I kind of feel like I collected a lot of data. I kind of feel yeah. pretty full when it comes to that enough to go out there and and make movies which is kind of the point. Um, I think there will be a time maybe in my fifties where uh, I become like a guy who 
reads a lot of books and gets to watch a lot of movies and maybe then I'll enjoy my time. I don't know if I want to spend my time doing that, but I, I really feel like I, I gave myself like a decade and a half to cinephilia and I don't know what more it wants from me. Yeah. What no, more does I it mean, want I, from I, me? I, I, you know, I, I fed the beast for, for a very long time. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, I, I watch a considerable amount more than movies of you, but I, I, t- I, t- I totally agree where you're coming from that that you kind of have to watch movies for the right reasons now. And there, and uh, so I think I saw, <laughs> this is going to sound crazy, but I think I saw like over a hundred movies in theaters, but I, I would say like only a 10th of that were, were new movies. And it's not so mm. much that I prefer watching the older stuff. It's just none of the new stuff is kind of interesting to me. So like, at least with the older films, I can kind of think what but I'm actually trying to do. But a lot of like, it is also older films that you're watching for the first time, right? So they're new yeah. to you. Yeah, they're new to me, which is kind of the whole point, right? Like, I haven't seen Vice. I haven't seen Roma. I haven't seen so many films that would would have interested me like a few years ago. But for whatever reason, I think um, I kind of just lost interest in like keeping up with all that that nonsense of like what's going to be a best picture, what's going to be like I was like you knew me. I was such a big mark for that stuff <laughs> now i just kind of like i don't even like listing things anymore like my friends are always like sure you got to list your favorite movies you saw in december i'm like eh, i don't know and i don't gotta do nothing <laughs> i just like yeah to me movies. to and me what like, I like a, about I, netflix and it's gonna sound so bad is that i can kind of barely give films my utmost attention so like i saw a bird box and like I half watched that, <laughs> but I think that's how Netflix kind of encourages you to watch movies. Maybe. Yeah, I, I saw Bird Box too. It was just one of those things that, like, you know, the whole, you know, Claire wanted to watch it, so I had to watch it. Uh, it's not something I would have reached out at. Like, I don't, I don't care about the conversation. You know, I, I really don't. Um, once like hype kind of dies, well, then I'll go and I'll watch something. You know, because um, I just feel like because the internet is so loud the volume is so loud it 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 can distort how i feel about a movie i I saw blade runner 2029 or whatever it's called and uh i really feel like the praise kind of killed it for me i couldn't really appreciate it for what it is i saw it i thought it was fine uh i didn't think it was super special i didn't think it was better than the original or anything like that but um but maybe if i had seen it now when no one's really talking about it me i think i would have liked it more you know so all this subjectivity like there's such a demand for, well, what did you think about it? What is your opinion? Like, t- give me your hot take. And it's <laughs> like, I don't want to perpetuate that um, the way everybody else is doing it. Like, it's just going to get lost in the noise. And, and also, like, I need time to process stuff, you know? I feel like right now the internet culture, film Twitter, as it were, it's kind of like a uh, people are, are weaponizing film the way that i think people feel about football teams like and jerseys and things like that and and um i i'm not interested in that like i that's not why i love movies you know uh i like what i like like i saw pacific rim 2 this uh last year and i I liked it i was like it's fine you know it wasn't as good as the first one but uh, you know i didn't think it was dog shit i've seen 
poorly made films. Like, I know what they really look like. I'm not going to give a hot take and be like, this is a dumpster fire, you know? So that kind of cynicism to me is is big is a big turnoff, you know? But uh, I'm interested to know what you saw that's notable, something that maybe didn't get the attention that it deserved or something that you want to highlight or shed some light into, maybe I've seen or haven't seen. Hmm. That's an interesting question. Okay. So not to switch it on you, but have you heard of Bandersnatch, the Black Mirror one, the Black Mirror episode? Is it an episode or is it a like a miniseries thing? I think it's an episode. I'm not too familiar with Black Mirror, but I kind of like the idea of choose your own adventure in a movie. I understand and, uh, the gimmick. Hmm? I'm familiar with the, the gimmick. Yeah, so I, I, I finally watched that, and it was pretty unremarkable, but for some reason I love the idea of like you choosing your own music as you're watching a movie. And I had that option very early on if you wanted to listen to new wave or pop music. And um, and I was thinking, you know, that's kind of interesting. They should like have that where if you want to see a movie of this type of edited or that type of edited. And I thought I thought that was kind of I thought that was kind of cool. <laughs> so like anyone who wants to see Bandersnatch, like I think that's the coolest part. It happens like five minutes into the movie. But um, going back to what's like remarkable and that, I kind of feel like Clint Eastwood's 1517 to Paris was kind of uh, underpraised. And that's interesting because Eastwood is such a, a great director. But like the reason why I want to highlight 1517 is because it stars the real people from the event. And I know some people are like, well, they're not actors. And you can tell. I'm like, yeah, that's the whole point, you dummy. Like <laughs> the movie <laughs> wouldn't work if it's not these real friends hanging out. Like, and I, I think Eastwood was being experimental, like at 87 years old. So I think, I think that was one of my favorites of last year. And, uh, and you know, so uh, if you haven't seen that one, I think that one's kind of, kind of cool in it. And it really does remind me of myself when I made films with my friends and they were obviously not actors, but there was just such a, an, like charm about using real people mm-hmm. versus actors, which is why I was a fan of Mumblecore. Even if I don't like the content necessarily, I've always liked the idea of using on actors in films. Interesting, yeah. I think I agree. Um, it just turned out that like most of the performances that I appreciated the most growing up turned out to be with non-actors. Like something like whatever Harmony Corinne did in his in early his career, and Larry Clark, and uh, who did Four Hundred Blows? Was that Truffaut? Oh. Yeah. Um, like something like that I was like wow if this is possible then I think it's preferable like I, I really like working with non-actors personally as well I think they're easier to direct because oh, there's a they're, they're like children in that they don't have the self-esteem issues that an actor could potentially have uh, because they know that they're being monitored and sometimes like the act of feeling monitored can distort their performance um so i'm right there with you man like i totally agree with that so that's cool i I hadn't heard about that movie oh yeah you got to check it out it's it's uh so it's about these war heroes that like like stop the train hijacking and you would think this movie would be this action film or this like uh pro army film but it really is this like slice of life film of these guys getting rejected in life and then and just kind of life is beating them down and towards the end of the movie they're like hey dudes let's just like hang out again like if we're kids and go to europe and so they have this like time in europe and and it's just kind of it's 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 kind of beautiful like i don't know it's it's such a a bizarre film that i can't believe got a major release and and 
you know, and of course, again, like 20% on Rotten Tomatoes or whatever, but I thought it was one of the more interesting films I've seen, like, in the last five years, especially by, like, a studio. And, uh, yeah, there's something beautiful about non-actors. And I I would always say this, like, whenever I worked with a non-actor, I never have to worry about a non-actor overperforming. And that's probably my number one issue with directing real actors, because, like, Mm -hmm. I didn't learn how to direct in film school. Uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, direct actors in film school. Like, I knew how to block. I I knew what a lens is. But when you're working with actors, like, at least for me, there's, like, this stress that, I have to talk to them the right way. Like, I can't just be like, oh, can you just do that again? And they would have to, like, know what's their motivation and what's all that stuff. And I'm like, I don't know. It's in the script, dude. (laughs) Like, with non-actors, it's just so much easier to talk to them. Like, because, like, I'm more of a coach than, like, a director sometimes with actors where I just want to get them to the best positions. And I know what the best positions are. But when they're asking me, like, why do I have to do that? Why do I have to do that? And then I really got to kind of get out of myself and really analyze why I think that's the right decision where I think I'm best as a director when I'm going off of instincts, if that makes sense. So I want to talk about directing and like, I guess your style and all that. It's not very often I talk to a filmmaker who is very open about their craft and their approach and and their voice. And I really want to get into that. Like that could even be the bulk of this episode if you want, but I did want to ask you just while we're on the subject of movies that came out last year, a film that, you know, I don't care about making lists. I did think that just to kind of compare and contrast, I I really liked uh, Avengers Infinity War quite a bit. I thought it was, uh, no pun intended, I thought it was marvelous. I thought it was a sight to behold. I really felt like um, I was watching something special in terms of its effects. Like I really bought into uh, the aliens and all the special effects and all that stuff. So I really feel like it, it was like a crowning achievement of last year. But Upon giving it more thought, um, I, I thought, did you see, what's his name, Boots Riley's, uh, what's it called, uh, Sorry to Bother You, did you see that? Yeah, I did see that. I thought, like, when I think about it, that's the best movie of the year for me. It it has, it it bites, it has venom, like, it's angry, it has <laughs> balls, like, it's made with a vengeance, you know, like it has something to say and it, it has no regard whether you're on board with it or not, whether if you're in on it or not, it is. And I think it, it's kind of uh, patronizing almost to like its audience. Like if you, you either, you either can get this in a subtextual level or on a literal level. And if you don't, I don't care. And I miss that. I miss that kind of uh, that brave filmmaking that just says, fuck you to its audience like i feel like we need that today and it's like man spike lee used to be that guy to an extent and uh, i'm not saying he doesn't have it anymore or anything but this was a movie that spike lee kind of should have made but i'm very grateful for boots riley considering it's his first film and his first foray into movies by and large uh i thought that movie was incredible and i wanted to talk about it a little bit with you yeah it's funny you mentioned spike because i saw both Sorry to bother you in Black Klansman. And I love Spike, if, as you're aware. He's probably my favorite director, maybe. Like, I don't, I don't know. I would have to really think about it. But he's up there. And um, and Black Klansman was somewhat of a disappointment. And it was it was so beautiful to watch. And to quote Dave, the cinematography was perfect. But something was missing sure. in that film for me. And I think it was the lack of bite that I get with every other Spike film. Like, Spike is probably the most angry filmmaker <laughs> <laughs> and, right and he shows it and 
and with Black Klansman, he, he kind of is like, oh, here's this thing, and here's the anti-Trump message, and here's all these other things I want to kind of get out there. But with, with Sorry to Bother You, like, Vooch just kind of, like, hits you with the haymaker, and if you're ready for it, like, good for you. But if you're not, you kind of, you kind of, you, it takes you aback because so many filmmakers don't want to come out, come out that way anymore. That's and, right. And if you're going to make a, a really political film, like, you got to go out that way. Like, you can't dip your foot into it and, and be like, well, I don't know. <laughs> so, so I, I really admired Sorry to Bother You because not only was it pol- like a political film, it wasn't, it wasn't obvious, I guess. Like, I mean, it was obvious, but it wasn't, it wasn't trying to be vice, no, no, uh, no offensive vice, but it, it was just like interesting. It was somewhat surreal. It, it, the colors were popping and yeah, I thought Sorry to Bother You was, was a real interesting film and, <laughs> and it was probably one of the few films that I've seen recently where I was kind of shocked at some of the random things they were doing. Yeah, it was it was upsetting and very insightful. And, uh, you know, to me, I kind of felt like, uh, I, I think one of the best films of the decade that we're going to be talking about for a long time was Jordan Peele's Get Out. And I know a lot of people who didn't really get it when it came out, who who took the the genre a little too seriously and they're like well it wasn't scary in the traditional <laughs> horror sense or or like yeah no it was really funny as if it was like a a comedy first and it's both those things certainly but they didn't understand kind of like the trojan horse that jordan was really trying to get across that was like this subtle racism that stems from the left and uh and i think he would know and I really appreciated that perspective, and I appreciated um, that form of racism, like this ignorant yuppie racism, which I really appreciate. Because by and large, when you watch American black American films, and they're depicting racism, like it takes place in the South, and it's like the redneck, and it's like Deliverance style, and it was nice to see like the Upper East Side racism um, and that kind of like white family that would have voted for Obama, Obama. third term if they could. And and I feel like Boots kind of raised the stakes with um, with Sorry to Bother You and took that and said, yeah, that's there, um, but it's deeper than that. And uh, the movie's unpredictable, and I appreciate that. And it's completely, it goes off the rails. And narratively, it's doing its own thing. And it also felt like a movie that would have been made in the early 2000s. Like It was like this lunatic fringe movie. I don't know how it got made, and it has... It has great big stars in it, like Terry Crews and, um, you know, and what's Army me. Hammer and guys like yeah. this, yeah, um, right? Most notably from the Lone Ranger, and <laughs> and and it just it just gut punched me, man. Like it came out of nowhere, and I and kind of like Get Out. It showed me like this black experience, and it went so deep, like talking about like eugenics and and things like that. That I that I didn't see coming, and when I the more I think about it, and I've only seen it once, I'm like, that's the bravest script of last year. It's the most daring original movie last year, and uh, and it ends with a with a fuck you, and I appreciated that, and I miss that in movies, and and Boots, you know, he, I I'm not sure if I want to give him the uh, the ten year credit that I'll give like a uh, Steve McQueen when, uh, when I saw hunger for the first time, I was like, cool, man. Like I'm going to watch all your, I'm dedicated to you for the next 10 years. Like you bought that credit for me. Um, 
I don't know if I want to give Boots that just yet, but I'm definitely watching his next movie, and I'm he's a guy to pay attention to, and I hope his next one is just as vicious. Yeah, I think I would even go a step ahead of you. I, like something about Sorry to Bother You is very reminiscent of like '70s films, in the sense that it it doesn't feel like it it's made for anybody in particular, and that's what's kind of beautiful about it. And I, I don't know, like it, there was like an exploitation part of the film. That's it's, it's kind of bizarre and and I don't know. I got, I kind of want to just go into spoiler talk. So if you haven't seen the movie, I'm sorry, but yeah, skip five minutes ahead because <laughs> we're gonna. Well, I think we should spoil people. it. Yeah. 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 Equisapiens. The whole concept. Yeah. Adaptations. Yeah. The whole horse people scene <laughs> was kind of the most wicked thing I've seen in the theater when the horse is just like begging him to like kill him and. I just feel like no other film have had a scene like that. I, I remember in the theater, I was just like, "Whoa, <laughs> what the heck?" <laughs> I think I saw I it at Alamo Draft House, and I probably had like a white Russian in my hand or something. I was just <laughs> like, "What the hell is going on?" I wish so, I could have uh, watched it in theater. I, I saw it on at home, and I literally had to pause the movie and rewind it. And I think me and Claire took a break, and we talked about what what this meant for ten minutes, and then we resumed the movie. But uh, I love how that. Equisapien is voiced by Forrest Whitaker and he's saying we're hurting help us we're hurting uh, oh god that was that just took me to that punched me into another hemisphere man yeah and Army Hammer is so good in that film too like <laughs> like his constant drug use and then he's like you gotta have a horse cock that's gonna be the best the best part and I don't, I don't know there, there was so many like little subtleties in that in that whole film about class and and wealth inequality that I thought was really, really cool to see in a, in a mainstream film like that. And it wasn't punching down. So like, so I said, I hadn't seen vice. I guess that's somewhat of a lie. I saw the first like 10 minutes of vice and I just kind of got disinterested. And the reason why I hate when most like liberals quotation marks make a, a Hollywood film is they seem to be punching down too much. Like in vice, there's a scene where, where like the narrator's like, well, most Americans are too stupid to understand what George W. Bush was going to really do. So here's the thing. And that's just like, okay, like, like, I guess that's cool. But you want to pretend you're for the people and you want to pretend you're all these things, but you don't like people. And I can tell that with your films. <laughs> and and what's sorry to bother you, like, I never got a second that Boots Riley hates people. He just kind of is frustrated by how the system set up. And I think that's a way more interesting thing to challenge than to question people's intelligence. Unless that's how I see it. True. And I think both are trying to do like similar things. Like they're both, I haven't seen vice, but I assume like, just like, sorry to bother you. It's a cautionary tale saying that, you know, here's the way it's been in the past and here's where we we're going. If we don't do something about it right now. Yeah. Yeah, I would. Yeah. I, I would assume so too. I, like I said, I didn't finish it because I thought there's things I just would I couldn't get into. Even though I thought Christian Bell was kind of kind of good in the film. <laughs> I bet um, one movie that I appreciated last year, and I kind of went uh, kind of people I think just forgot it or maybe didn't appreciate it, but it was an HBO thing. I saw it's like a five hour thing of the uh, what was it called? The Zen Diaries of Gary Shandling. Okay, which I, I really appreciated. That. It's really good, man. I know you're a big Judd Apatow fan, so you should check it out when you get the chance. I, I thought it was very interesting, and it also highlights this era in comedy, and uh, 
It's very special, man. I think you should check it out. I yeah. think you dig it the most. Yeah, I probably, I probably would love it. And I, you know, you know I me. Mean? I'm a big Judd fan. I consider him like kind of the modern day John Cassavetes in a weird way. Wow, I wouldn't go that far. Oh no, I mean maybe not in terms of, <laughs> of like a claim or, or um, you know, I just think there's something really personal about Judd's films. Maybe specifically like three of them, but I just don't really see in in comedies like who. Who else in comedy could make something like "This Is Forty or or Funny People and just be that that vulnerable in a film about with Adam Sandler in it or something? Uh, I don't know, but but yeah, I get what no, you're saying. He, he's interesting. Like I, I I do keep going back to his movies. Uh, I listen to the audio commentary of Funny People quite a bit, quite a bit, uh, just because I like I like how inside baseball comedy really is. It's actually pretty well protected, you know, as far as like it's in terms of like the how and the psychology, like really the greats, they don't go on podcasts and drop all the secrets. But I feel like there's there's tremendous like human value in in comedy. And Judd's one of the guys that is transparent about that. And he explains why things work. And he's such a student of the game. And I I appreciate him for for that, for sure. It's funny you mention that because I'm not sure if you're audience is aware but me and knives are somewhat big wrestling fans early store and uh and wrestling is the exact opposite where they want you to know <laughs> every little detail and, but you're you're kind of correct in the sense that comedy is very protected by its by performers because they know if they let people in too much then the magic would kind of be gone it's kind of like being a magician in some ways and and wrestling i think wrestling just wants legitimate legitimacy so much that they just spoil everything for you like they want to tell you how they how they fall how they they work a match how they audible and all that stuff yeah i appreciate that wrestling at least in america is very giving in its information it didn't always used to be i think this is like an internet thing it's changed especially in the past 10 years um but i wish comedy was a little more a little more giving like i wish bill murray kind of dropped was more transparent in a lot of ways, like, and kind of like the jig is up and just would let information go. This stuff deserves to be open source, but I under, I understand why it's protected, but comedians need to understand that, you know, like Seinfeld, if he just dropped all of his gems, like, well, it's not like everybody can pick them up and then copy him. Like not everybody can be Jerry Seinfeld or Steve Martin. Like it's not going to happen, but um, it's the same thing with wrestling. Like, drop all the information that you want because not everybody's can do that not everybody's going to do that and i still appreciate wrestling i'm not super informed with it i don't know what's going on but i i love to just drop in and i'll watch an nxt takeover every time and uh i love just dropping in and appreciating it because i i just love the um i love the presentation you know like that's what it's about like how they put stories together is will always interest me yeah no I, 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 I really feel that way. And there was a second wave of wrestling fandom for me. And it was when I was making making guys like us. And I just kind of got back into it because Daniel Bryan was one of my favorite wrestlers growing up. And seeing him in the WWE on that big stage was kind of amazing. And when he got injured, you know, I just kind of stopped. And not because wrestling was bad, but just because there's something really boring about wrestling. <laughs> and, and it and occasionally you get a match like AJ Styles versus John Cena in SummerSlam, but most of the times you you get like 
I don't know, Dean Ambrose versus, uh, I don't know, any generic wrestler, uh, Sheamus, you know, <laughs> you know, and I, I think both those performers are great, but, but, it, but, but you watch wrestling for like the holy crap matches, at least I do. So like the, the week to week matches never interest me as much as like, you know, the big, the big, the big one offs, like Kurt Angle and Shawn Michaels in WrestleMania 23, I want to say, but 20, 21. Was twenty one thing? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. It is twenty one. Man, I'm, I'm off with my numbers. But yeah. Well, now they don't even number them. But um, yeah, I I, f- I can already hear my listeners just being like, okay, I'm not gonna listen to this after <laughs> after we talk about wrestling. I love it. I, I like talking about uh, not necessarily the storylines because I'm not invested in them, but I like the fact that these dudes um are no they're they're actors. It's acting. It's just acting, but people. Yeah. I think. I think audience brings the baggage. In um, I think the audience brings the baggage of like the legitimacy, not the wrestlers. It's the wrestler's job to make it appear legitimate, but that's part of acting. It's just like Tom Cruise when he cries or he gets smashed into a wall. Like it's his job to make that as real as possible. And I, I, I always want to shine light on the technicality that goes into wrestling because I, I don't care about the storylines and I don't care about the winners and losers. Like it's not about that. It's live theater. It's yeah. that's all, that's all it is. And I feel like that gets forgotten in a mainstream sense. People think that it's, you know, it doesn't, it, it's not, it's not confusing or surprising that Dwayne, the rock Johnson would, would segue into acting or Batista or John Cena would segue into acting. Like it's not, surprising in the least bit like that's that's what they were doing if anything i think wrestling was more demanding than what they're doing now because now they have days to spend on one scene whereas i mean they they're telling entire blocks of stories a day a week a month a year you know it's just so demanding to live in character and then to go to the airport and still be expected to be in that character and people slash your tires and all that kind of jake the snake stuff like it's really fascinating it's method acting in a lot of ways the best of it is and i like to shed i like to shed uh insight on that and maybe this will segue us to guys like us but uh doing everything you know a wrestling match is all done in one take at the same time you know and you're hurting each other and you have each other's uh, lives in your hands and uh you made a movie called Guys Like Us that was a peek behind that curtain. Tell me about yeah. um, what, where that came from, the idea, the germ, and, and how, you know, the, the whole process. Okay, so I guess I'm going to tell the whole story. <laughs> so I just dropped out of film school because, I, I, you know, I, I try to recontextualize it, but I think I was nervous about going into my last year because I didn't feel like I learned much in film school. And I was like gonna work my quote unquote final final. And there was just something I guess like scary about that for me for whatever reason. So I, I just dropped out and and I wrote these like scripts about like why I hated film school and none of them were were very interesting. And uh, so I just kind of I kind of took a backseat and I started watching T V and films and and I and I remember you and Dave were just like, You gotta watch Lost and I was like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> some sci-fi mm-hmm. shit get get out of here mm-hmm. <laughs> and i watched lost it i just thought it was it was really interesting how that tv show would just go for it in a way i hadn't seen in movies like i back back in those days like even now like i feel 
so many movies lack bite. We were just talking about that. So when I watched something like like Lost, I, I just saw like this creative freedom that I didn't know existed, as silly as that sounds. Mm-hmm. So I, I was just like, you know what? I got to write something like that. <laughs> so so I thought of like writing this like whole big wrestling epic. And and, and I just started plot, plotting it and outlining it. And, and I thought like, this is like a legit story right here. Like this is going to, this is amazing. Uh, I was so excited. I, I remember I called Andrew, who was living in Westlake at the time. And I was like, Andrew, like you got to come back to Austin. I'm begging you. And you got to shoot my movie. And I told Andrew the idea, and Andrew was just like, yeah, Andrew has always been a gamer. That's kind of why I love him. <laughs> so he was just like, yeah, let's do it, dude. He moved to Austin, like, I think two weeks later, uh, and we just kind of got got into it. We made we made guys like us. <laughs> and it was just something I felt like I was kind of talking to myself within that film, <laughs> and I was talking about my own insecurities of, like, of, like, moving on from film, like, the main characters moving on from wrestling and i wasn't really aware of that at the time which is which is really funny like i can't i can't actually think about that stuff when i'm making when i'm writing mm-hmm. the script like i know me mm-hmm. and you have like way different writing processes but for me i i, I i'm always thinking i'm writing outside of myself until <laughs> i read it again or if i watch it again i'm like oh that's obviously about that mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, you know, sometimes you just have to trust the writing and the characters and what they're doing, the relationships, and and trust that the subtext is there. Yeah, and the reason why I think I chose Backyard Wrestling was because I knew you, and then I went to school with this guy who was like a huge Backyard Wrestling star, and I I just called him up, and I was like, hey, uh, you remember me from film school? It's, It's JR, and he was like, oh, yeah, dude, what's up? And I told him the idea, and he just loved it right away. And I, I remember I wanted I wanted to cast all his friends, and he's like, well, I don't know if any of them are going to do it. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So I think I asked you to be a part of it, but you were also kind of... Making kind a movie. Of, hmm? I was making a movie as well. Yeah, you were making a movie. And, and that, that was actually kind of one of my favorite moments of that whole experience was was just how excited we both were about about our films because we would talk on Skype for like three to four hours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, we were just we were just both hyping each other up for our movies and we weren't even like telling each other like plot points. <laughs> like, it wasn't even like that. We just, we would just be like, like, yo dude, this movie, <laughs> oh man, this movie's gonna, it was just such an exciting moment in, in our lives. And, 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 and it's funny that we both did our movie like around the same time. And I felt like I did my movie fast, but you did your movie like in a, in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And I remember you asked me to do a teaser for your, for your premiere. And I was like, man, nice. I only like shot like, <laughs> like five days of scenes and and yeah it was just we both had like way different um ways of actually making the film because i only had to do i only was able to do weekends like twice a week and i think you shot yours like back to back to back days right yeah something like that i shot mm, about 85 percent of it in five days yeah so it it was just different but i as far as like the actual shooting of it and it and I, I, I remember when I was making it, I, I kind of wanted to make something true to wrestling. And I, I would keep asking Alex, like, hey, is this, like, how it would actually be done? And is this how it is? And, and he, he would give me, like, nothing but positive feedback. So I, I felt like I did something right. And his friends, who I thought were going to say no, all of the script, except for one guy who turned it down, but, but that's all right. <laughs> and, uh, and, 
And I, I, I was shooting a scene that was an actual wrestling match. And Andrew wanted to cut and do all these different things. I was like, no, mm-hmm. let's just shoot it like if it's like TV or something. Because mm-hmm. I think that way we can play around more with the camera. Like we have to actually get the shots in camera. Mm-hmm. And, and it, also, it was it's, a, it's e- I, assume, I assume it's easier for the, the performers as well. Yeah, that, that, that's my thing. And, and that's where mm-hmm. I think directed non-actors come from, even though I think wrestlers are pretty amazing actors, mm-hmm. is that I don't want them to like worry about stopping the match and get back into blocking or like, hey, let's do that from a close-up. And I wanted Andrew to, to feel free like when he was shooting it. So I was like, Andrew, just like zoom in all you want. Do these things that, <laughs> that you got to do to get the emotions of the face. Because I remember guys like us, I was really interested in the face. Like if you watch that film, like <laughs> everything's a close-up. And... So we shot like a five minute wrestling match, I think, all in one take. The audience was really hyped. And that was another thing. I didn't want the audience to not be hyped. So I just wanted to go go for it. And and one of the moments like shocked me because I wasn't really expecting it. And there <laughs> there was this moment where where one of the wrestlers like has his face behind like a glass, like a what what are those light bulbs called? I don't I don't know what they're called, like fluorescent lights, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the guy like stomped <clears throat> on his face and the dude starts bleeding and I was like, Holy crap. <laughs> Yeah. Like, why did they tell me where they were going to do that? And, yeah. and that was the finish of the match. And the match ends, and I just go up to, I go up to the actor, and I'm like, hey, dude, you're right. He's like, dude, I do this, like, every couple of weeks. So I was like, oh, okay, that's good. <laughs> and, and we go on to the next scene. But but um, I look at my actress, who who wasn't a wrestler. She was just someone I found on, like, the Austin casting website. Mm-hmm. And she tells me, she's like, man, they're actually doing this stuff. I was like, yeah, that's wrestling for you. <laughs> it's super fun to watch in person. Because you're you're in the space with them, and every golpe or I don't know how you say it in English, but every like boom where they're it's just meat hitting the ground or meat hitting steel. Like you feel it too, and you and you cannot help but say, "Wow, they're doing this for the sake of art." You know, I, I really have to put you put you over, and I always do when it comes to guys like us. And this isn't a knock on you by any stretch. I just think it's true. But I think guys like us will be the greatest film you ever make. I think when you look back, like it's all there. Like I'm, I'm personally very proud of it. Like it, it's a movie. There are a few movies that filmmakers make, whether if they're my buddies or there's people I've never met, who t- like completely handled that subject very well like now i don't have to write that thesis because they did it guys like us is one of those and for the listeners go to vimeo type in guys like us it's one of the first things that pop up and uh i i just love that you could have like a lesser director a more a less compassionate director a less empathetic and humanist director would have made fun of these characters would have poked fun at them and kind of disgraced them and humiliated them for for being maybe immature or something like that. Um, but I felt like you were one of the guys. Like when you're watching the movie, you're a, you're one of the guys. And that's a camaraderie aspect that like is the whole purpose of the movie. For me, for me, obviously I'm projecting my own shit onto it. But uh, I love the ending of your film and I don't want to give it away. But good luck topping that. Good <laughs> luck topping the last 10 minutes of your or maybe five minutes of your movie. Um, because that's what it's all about. Like that's a snapshot in time. That's a moment in time that will, that will live on forever. And I miss that. Like I miss that camaraderie. I miss doing dumb shit with buddies and going back and, and, and watching it back. And, uh, 
I thought you captured it very, very well, man. And an underrated performance is a mutual friend, Christian Blake, who now that I think about it, I have to have on the show. Uh, He's tremendous. And I still talk to him from time to time, but um, he's a great guy. And, you know, he had a a powerhouse performance, something I didn't expect. I was like, how did JR get this guy? How did he do this? I couldn't, Christian would never act in my movie, you know? Um, So I just thought it was so cool. And, and uh, like, how old were you when you made guys like us? Shoot, man, I must have been 20, maybe. Do you ever yeah, look 20. back and say, like, where did I have that confidence or audacity or ignorance or whatever it was? Like, where did you have the audacity to to think that you could pull that off? Because making a movie is a miracle. Yeah, and I think about that often nowadays because it seems so hard to make a movie. Like, even if it's just, like, even if I'm, like, a little bit step away from it, like, I'm trying to produce Andrew's new film, and it's it's just different like when you when i was young i think i think i was so afraid of of not making a film that that making something that didn't work was easier for me if that makes sense so when i started doing guys like us i told andrew i was like the date is march 18th i don't know if that's the actual date but it was like march 18th we're starting it like no matter what and andrew's like but we don't got this we don't got this and i was like yeah it's all right man we don't need a cameraman we got you we got me and uh, we have this weird guy on craigslist that we found (laughs) like that's all we need to do this film (laughs) and and we uh we go ahead and we start making it and the first day i wish i could say the first day was perfect but the first day was actually the worst day on set we did 30 takes of the scene that got cut out of the film and we just kept going and going. And that's when I was like, dread never came into my mind. But if it did, it would have been that day. But I think I was so convinced that the movie had to be made that I wasn't really considering like the option of failure. I was just like, okay, something's not working about this scene, but I'm going to keep going until it's right. And we finally got the take, I guess. But we like I said, it never really worked. And I think we only shot like three scenes. And I think the last scene that we shot was... Uh, was oddly uh, the the scene when when Alex or Devin the kid and and uh, Dirty Floyd got into the big argument, and when I saw that scene like in person, I was like, "Whoa, that's like what I wrote." And after that, I felt like the film had like no way of failing. Like if you see the movie, I, know what I, you mean. I, I think that's one. Of the once you get I- once you get like a big scene like that where you kind of feel like you can sell it, not literally sell it, but it's now the alibi for the movie. Like once you have one of those scenes in the can, it's very encouraging. Yeah, so when that scene happened, I, I just remember thinking like, oh, dang, this movie's like done. <laughs> like, it was, like we still ended up needing like 10 more days, but I was like, uh, it's it's ready. Like I, I, I got it. And me and Andrew put the like the film on Final Cut Pro and we were watching it and we were both just like, yo, we did it. <laughs> and, and the next day we were just so excited to go. And and, I, and every day got easier. Like, I, like the only thing I... I uh, wish I could do something different with guys like us is I wish I could have had the confidence that I had in the final day of shooting towards the beginning, you know, because uh-huh. you, you learn on the job when you're directing, yeah. like that's why rehearsal is so great for most directors, but you know, micro budget, zero budget films don't have that, don't have that opportunity most times. So, so you kind of just have to like learn where the film is like as you're shooting it, you got to learn who the characters are as you're shooting it. And that's 100%, interesting. Man. And and something I really enjoyed about guys like us and and a lot of my films because most of my films don't end up the way it's written is that you learn about the film as you're making it and that's when you can kind of make adjustments. And that last scene you're talking about that only happened 
because we thought for the longest time we weren't going to get a ring for the big finale I wrote. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I wrote this like beautiful uh, monologue for Alex to deliver. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and Alex gives it. it was such a great performance that I was just like, that's like, the that's the epilogue I'll say because I don't I don't want to give it away for some people that I think will enjoy it but the epilogue of the movie to me is the movie yeah for, for it's sure the, it's, that's why it's the movie and the characters are, there's a blissful ignorance like I don't think they knew I, I you know I'm curious like do you know if that crew still hangs out and like if they still are assembled uh you know not, not or have they scattered me, along the with the time. Yeah, well, uh, so they, they still hang out somewhat, like at least most of them, I think. Uh, not, not as much as they did when they were obviously wrestling together. But um, one of the actors in that film actually passed away kind of tragically. And uh, who? And, oh, he was the guy in the film that, that uh, goes through the big accident, which is kind of bizarre for me sometimes Re when I think about it. Really? And, uh, oh, my gosh. I can't believe that. Yeah. And when I heard about it, I was just like, oh, like I, I just kind of numb to me because I, I saw guys like us right afterwards and i was just like man wow i, I don't know I, it was just so like he's not part of that crew anymore unfortunately but but they were wrestling last i checked like every once in a while or like every summer i think they do like a big big event but mm -hmm. uh i don't, I don't know it, it seems like uh you know obviously alex and and his little brother still hang out because <laughs> they're related and i think uh the the actor who plays uh dirty floyd is still with them, but I'm not. I'm not too sure if the uh, the other characters in the film hang out as much with those core three guys. You know, but if yeah, you they're, they're... Uh, if I went out and set out to make a movie that's about chasing glory, and then the characters realize that they didn't need to chase it, like uh, being with each other is glorious. Um, if I set out to make that movie, like I don't know if I could have pulled it off, especially at age twenty. And so I, I really appreciate guys like us. I always go back to it. And the more I go back to it, the more I'm like, oh, JR is ripping this guy off. JR is doing this. This is an homage to that. I'm like, wow. Like those were his influences at the time. Like I can recall a few. What, yeah. what, it, uh, as far it, as like it, your visual style and maybe even your writing style, like what, what influenced you at the time? So I, I kind of have a two part answer for this because when I was making it, I think my biggest influence was. <clears throat> obviously rocky <laughs> i think rocky's forever my biggest influence when i was writing the script i was really thinking about rocky <clears throat> and another thing i was thinking of was edgar wright yeah this, i see like, that I, I know that with that, the cornetto sequence or a little just shot yeah so edgar yeah. wright does this like really interesting youtube series where he talks about story structure i'm not even sure if it's a series it might just be one video where it's mm -hmm. him and simon Pegg talking about how to <clears throat> not book a movie, but how to outline a movie. And I just was like, you know what? I'm going to copy this. <laughs> I'm just going to, I'm going to hit these beats because I am tired of trying to be quote unquote original. And, and mm -hmm. it's funny because when you work inside of a system, I think that's where you can find your voice. And if you try to work outside of that system, I think sometimes if you're unprepared, it kind of messes you up. You know, not everyone is Tarantino, as they say. <laughs> so, so I think uh, Edgar Wright just kind of gave me the confidence to like work within a structure and finding my voice in that way. <clears throat> so in the writing process, it was Stallone and Edgar Wright that kind of influenced me. But it, when I was directing, you know, I think my influences at the time were were just like these dark comedies, like uh, Jody Hill's Observing Report and and uh, 
what else was there? Oh, the movie, the comedy was a big, was a big influence for me. <clears throat> but yeah. towards the end of the film, I, 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 I became a big fan of Jonathan Demi and uh, Melvin and Howard is still one of my favorite movies that I've seen. And I saw the film and I was just like, you know what? There's like a weird compassion about Melvin and Howard that I really enjoyed. And I think that's what I, I come for the movies for. Like I come to watch these humans that don't often get to get the spotlight on them. And, yeah. and that's where my biggest influence comes from is I think Jonathan Demi, the way he's kind of can be so humanizing to people that often aren't, are given that opportunity. So I would say it's probably like a mix of like Demi and dark comedies and, and Stallone, but, but I, I don't know. What influences did you see when you watched the film, if you don't mind me asking? Definitely Edgar Wright, um, Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, those are like the two big ones for sure. Um, I, 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 you know, and and I would almost say, you know, I feel like Judd Apatow gets the credit for a lot of those movies from that era. But but and not he doesn't deserve all the credit. Like some, something like a super bad, he didn't really have anything to do with. I know he like EP'd it. But that's Greg Matola's movie, you know what I mean? Um, but I definitely got movies from that era. Like you were, you were, you were young enough that you could tap into that, and it was relative. You know what I mean? Like if you tried to tap into that now, you would run the chance of it not really being cool because you're older now. You know what I mean? But it was still cool because like you were one of the guys and it's such a, it's such a beautiful portrait in time, man. Like I, I really love that movie and uh, I always recommend it to people uh, because it is a, it's a, it's, it's a, it's almost like a mumblecore movie. You know, it's, it's very, uh, Oh, Swanberg's another one. I saw those influences anyways. And uh, it's, it's a, it's a perfect example of like, look, it, it doesn't need to be perfect. It just needs to be honest like that's the movie, like yeah. the textures and the vibes and the feelings that you get from it is what you're going to take away. And I think a lot of filmmakers today or aspiring filmmakers, should I say, um, don't have the guts to be fearless, don't have the guts to be vulnerable and say, this isn't perfect, you know, uh, and this, I might not pull this off, but I'm going to risk it anyways. But that's, that's where the magic is. And if you complete that, that is like that that's that's worth your time you know what i mean like it's really beautiful and i know you said uh that there's a lot of close-ups in the movie and i can think of a few that like stand out in my head but it's really the wide shots it's really the wide shots that i was like and you know maybe it's you or andrew but at the end of the day it's you're the director but uh the wide shots to me were very brave like i was like um jr felt very confident like to let this scene play out yeah you know and 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 that's something that <clears throat> I, you, you, you know, most, like I said, a lesser filmmaker uh, uh, obsessed with, you know, gear, I think would have been like, oh, I want this to be very shallow and very close. And like, you know, and, and, and that to me is like a very amateur 2009, 10, 11, 12 YouTube, like just got a DSLR um, habit. And you didn't have that. Like, there was a lot of wide shots. Like, most of the film to me, like I, like I said, a lot of close-ups don't really stand out to me other than, like, a few uh, notable ones. But most of it was kind of wide. Like, most of it is everybody in the shot, like, their entire bodies. And uh, yeah. that to me was, like, that stood out to me. And I was like, wow, like, JR's really confident. Like, he wants to let, he's chewing the scenery. Like, he trusts the scenery, you know? And, and that's a, 
um, there's so much confidence in that and good luck topping it. You know, like I feel like in a way you'll be, you'll be chasing this movie for a while and that's a good problem to have. But, um, yeah, just for the listeners, man, you know, I wanted to talk about, um, your directing and your, your style and uh, for a little bit. And so please check it out. I'll definitely link it, um, in the podcast notes for sure. I think it's worth checking out whether if you like wrestling or not. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, yeah, like uh, like Knife said, look it up on Vimeo, guys like us. But uh, it, going back to Christian Blake real quick, and it's um, it's funny you you mentioned getting him to act in the film because I, I was kind of nervous to ask him because I was going to Westlaco and I was just like I don't know any actors, so I'm just gonna ask Christian, and he also has this equipment, so at least I can get that. And he was like, "Well, yeah, Jared, I think you're a cool guy. Like, I, I'll do it." And so I sent him the script. And then he calls me back and he's like, and he was just concerned about the language. And I was like, Christian, listen, no one's going to see this movie. <laughs> like, don't, don't worry about it. And That's he comes funny. in and I was kind of nervous that he would be like a little tiptoeing, but he like goes more vulgar than what's in the script. <laughs> I just remembered my friend Jesse, who I got to act, was just like, wait a minute, we can do that. And, and I was, and they both just try to like top each other and it's just it was one of my favorite like like moments where i was just like man you have like two actors that just won't quit <laughs> and it was just it had me like dying when i was when i was shooting like a specific scene but um no i i always wanted i always want to work with christian again as an actor because there's something really interesting about his voice as you're probably aware because you talked to him a bunch but but yeah so just going going there for like one second i just wanted to give christian like I yeah, he's, really, he's really special a, too and, and he, he considers himself he considers himself uh, an actor first you know so uh i've never yeah wait, had the pleasure in, in directing him as an actor and i don't know if i could i don't know if he'd fit in my universe so to speak because he has like this might to him but uh but he's tremendous he's he's definitely one of the one of the uh the standouts of that movie for sure and so i'm gonna have him on the show one day and we'll talk about we'll try not to just make it all about marvel and dc comics and stuff but um (laughs) that might be but definitely like that might be a little tough with them (laughs) i want to say like i i was in production you were in production and i want to say christian started production that year as well right yeah yeah we were the three-headed monster ingress seven hands and guys like us yeah it's crazy uh, that was that was like the mine came out yeah yeah, but I mean, as long as they came out, like now they're all, oh, I was going to say they're all available. They're not all available, but at least Ingress and uh, and guys like us are available. Um, so I'm, th- my point is like they, we completed them, you know, so yeah, and, that's, a, and, that's a good feeling. And that's so uh, tough to imagine because so many films don't get made, but all three of us got our films made even varying degrees of, of completion time. But, but that's mm-hmm. always that kind of cool moment. You know, I want to talk about what you got going on in the future in the next three years. I know it's kind of hard, uh, but I just want to know like where you're at writing-wise. And I really love my buddies that are making movies. I'm so proud of everybody. I'm like, I'm your biggest fan. Like, I'm my friend Mark's, Mark Hernandez's biggest fan. I'm Christian Blake's biggest fan. Like, we all virtually came up together. We came from the same hood, by and large. And so when one of us makes it and makes a movie and completes a project, like all I want to do is support that and shine light on that, man. So what do you got working on for the next couple of years, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, so I've gotten more into like the producer side of things because whether it's just lack of of ideas or lack of like a script I can believe in, I just 
haven't gotten anything that I really feel the itch to direct. And for me, a lot of it is just more, more just kind of, of being out there. I think <clears throat> I wrote this script a couple of years back that I wanted to produce with Rue called No Way Jose, which I thought might've been the best script I, I had written at that time. And maybe even still now, I really thought the script was, was really, it hit everything I wanted to hit in terms of just emotion. And, and it was a romantic film and, and it was just, <laughs> it was a little bizarre. And the production fell apart like one day before shooting, thankfully, because I think I casted the wrong actor. And I think I was pressured by a couple of my producers uh, to go in a direction I'm not too sure if I wanted to go into. So after that, I haven't just like, and whether it's just because I'm afraid of, of, uh, of just like finding locations again, because making a film is a, a pain lot in of, the ass. Yeah, a lot of it. It's tough, <laughs> and and when I'm and going back to when I made you guys like us, I think I think I was aware of how tough it was. But being in a small town, I think is it's easier to make a film in a small town because there's there's less chance, you know. Like if that if that makes sense, like there's less there's less things to shoot in a way where there's more things to shoot. So like, and guys like us, there's this one beautiful church I knew I wanted to shoot at, or there was this one. Um, well, you're more familiar with your locations for sure. Yeah. And, and in New York City and Austin, I always thought it was kind of, it was way too much almost. But I really <laughs> want to direct something in New York. Like, mm -hmm. and I never got that in Austin, unfortunately. I never got the itch that Austin mm. was where I wanted to shoot movies. And, and if I was, I was kind of going to have Austin play a different city. Mm -hmm. And, but New York, I, I kind of love the city. I, the, I, I wrote the script here about about this like, really successful person in Manhattan and it was it was kind of an interesting script but it just I just kind of never never gave it like the proper rewrite but uh you know I've, so I've been writing I just I just haven't I don't know what it is there's like me and my in my in my bud bud always talk about like what motivates us to direct and and in a funny way what motivates us to direct is directing movies because when you're directing a movie that's all you wanted to do. Like, I think if I was smart, I would have mm -hmm. told Jer after he did guys like us, like, Hey, do, just do another one right away. Cause when I did, when I finished guys like us, I'd finished two scripts. I was ready. I was just like, let's go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and the further you get away from it, the more you, you kind of worry about stuff or, or, you know, I've had a couple, of, I don't want to say failures, but some things just didn't go my way within the last few years of like the last couple of things I've did. Uh, and and I don't know, like, I guess I, like I still got this, this fire to direct, but I think I, I kind of want to step away and do something and do something a little bit smaller, like maybe do a short film or, or something, something in that vein, because just doing these huge projects have taken a toll on me. Like, so the last big thing I did was Fat Actor, which never got released. Uh, that was a while ago. That was a while ago. Yeah. I mean, I, and I mean, I've done a couple of short films since then. I did a, like a little horror film and I did a little uh uh family comedy thing with joe and george ayala the two the two goats but uh mm -hmm. <laughs> besides that uh besides stuff i've done with my family and friends I, I haven't done anything with actors since fat actor and i think it's because of uh do you think it's because you're complacent because you made a masterpiece and you're like <laughs> well i don't really have anything to prove <laughs> you know i'm serious i i, I, know, I know you're serious and uh one of the last times we talked you had 
you had to ask me if I thought I could write something better than guys like us. And I think I could. Well, but apparently I, I bring that up a lot. I didn't realize. I thought I was saying that that for the first time right now. No, 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 no. Sorry. You, 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 brought, you brought it up as soon as you were done watching it. Yeah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Yeah, okay. It's true, though. No, but but, um, yeah, but it, it, it is an interesting question because... Um, so I've I've done like two huge projects that I'm 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 somewhat proud of and and one was cracked which I did in high school and then the other other one was the guys like us when I did after dropping out of college and I think guys like us at the time when I finished it I thought well I I'm glad I made it but like I'm not too sure who's gonna like it and I I, I sent it to you I sent it to my buddy JC and I sent it to Christian. And I was like, if one of these guys like it, then I'm good. And all three of you got back with got back to me, and you all loved it. And I was like, well, do they really love it, or they're just being friends? But I know, I know, you guys actually liked it because, like, years later, you all still bring it up to me. That's <laughs> just kind of well. As a friend, cool. it's my responsibility to tell you that it's shit, if it's shit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah exactly. But you know, I I don't feel like a lot of people do that. And I've I've told people they made bad films, and I've lost some friendships that way. So I can mm -hmm. understand why people are afraid of do, doing that, you know, mm -hmm. but, but yeah, no, I mean, so with, when I, with guys like us, I, I think, I think I, I can top it, but it just, it has to be the right circumstances. And I, and I really got to get my footing down, which is why I'm excited to, to produce Fernie and Luca, which is Andrew's new thing, because in a way it's going to, it's going to kind of reintroduce me to, to like this, the pre-production stuff in filmmaking, which is probably my least favorite part of filmmaking. Like I don't like casting, I don't like rehearsing, <laughs> I don't like, um, hmm. I, I don't I don't like those like little details. I'm I'm always more about the shooting and and getting things kind of figured on out on set. And actors don't like that, which kind of goes back to my point. That like sometimes it's tough to work with professional actors because they like to know what they're doing like on set, so that way they don't waste any time, which I appreciate. But it just kind of like I, I never learned how to do that. <laughs> you know, everything I've learned it is always been more about like getting the blocking right and then figuring and figuring out the rest on set. Mm -hmm. So, Interesting, so it's, it's just different. I think in, in some ways actors intimidate me, hmm. but you know, yeah. I mean, it's all about them at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, but one thing that's important to me that I had to learn the hard way and a very expensive way was I, I, when I first started, I really cared about looking cool to my actors. I wanted them to be like, wow, I'm working with legendary filmmaker Knives Monroe. <laughs> and and then it slowly occurred. I mean, I was so young at the time, but it slowly occurred to me, like, I don't really give a fuck about what they think about me. Like, I, I'm here to make them look good, and they just got to do their thing. And whatever they need, you know, like it's really just less, less or more, like you said, with uh, uh, non-actors, like, you know, it's... It, you can kind of tell them to go to overdo it because they're not going to start with that by and large. And uh, I think actors, like I, I don't, you know, it, rehearsal is huge, man. And like building rapport and like knowing, knowing what their strengths are. Like I, I'm, I've learned enough where I'm a reverse engineer. You know what I mean? Like I, I will write, like I, I write for people's voices now and uh I protect actors that way. Like, I'm not going to give them something to do that's above their pay grade. I've done that in the past, and uh, it doesn't really work out. And at the end of the day, like, I'm accountable for it. So, like, don't, you know, just, you know, 
it's like wrestlers, man. Like you're building a you're you're building a show. So what are you gonna open with? You know what I mean? Like you're not gonna open with your main event. You're gonna save your main event for last. And also your main event might not be the best thing, but it's gonna be the thing that's gonna have the most uh, eyeballs and attention and payoff and all that. So you're really you're really structuring it that way. And you just got to know like whose people's strengths are like as a booker, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's actors. Like, uh, I, I've learned a lot working with them and, um, uh, it, it's a lot easier for me when you don't give a shit about looking cool and it's just about doing the thing. Let's do the thing. Yeah. Boom, knock it out. Set up the next thing. Boom, knock it out. Set up the next thing. Boom, knock it out. Like that to me, uh, I remember reading a book, uh, maybe it was like a book of interviews of Clint Eastwood and seeing his style. And I didn't know it at the time, but I had the same style. I'm not saying I'm the same caliber of filmmaker, but just the, I don't tell actors action. I just say, whenever you're ready. And I, I want to do the, I want to do the scene once. I want to get it the first time. And if the actors feel like they didn't do it, I'll give them another one. But I just want to nail it the first time, like theater. Clint does the same thing. Like, I don't, I don't block. Like, I, I write the blocking in the script. I know you're not supposed to do that, but it's my script, you know? So I do do that. Um, just to make the day as seamless as possible. Cause I don't want to get there and figure anything out. Like that's yeah. the skit that that's when you start to sweat. And uh, like they say in wrestling, bringing that back, you never want them to see you sweat, you know? <laughs> so, and, and I think where you're at right now is I, th- I just think you're cold, you know, like it's like, it's like you haven't been in the gym in, in a year or two and you're a little intimidated, but you know, maybe you don't start off making a feature. Maybe you start off, uh, being a PA and you start off like helping one of your friends produce a film and then you start off maybe doing a short film and then a, maybe a music video and then you ease into a, fi- a, a feature, you know what I mean? Like don't don't try to run 14 miles your first day at the gym, you know? But um, I, I'm i a big fan of you and I want to see what you're up to and I want to I wanna watch you direct, you know? Like I love those behind the scenes photos of like Sean Penn watching Terrence Malick direct. And like, you know, people that are wrapped on the thin red line. And uh, is that what it's called? Thin red line? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, people that, you know, Woody Harrelson, like everybody's wrapped, but they're watching him, you know? And I just think that's <laughs> so cool. And then later on, they go and direct, like Clooney directs or whatever. And I love that. And that's me, man. Like I learned a lot on Christian Blake sets. I learned a lot watching him direct on Ingress. I was like, oh, when he has downside, when he has downtime, he just shoots it. Like he he shoots it from all the angles and he gets his coverage during downtime while he's trying to figure out his master. That taught me a lot. I was like, cool, there's no such thing as downtime. Always film. Always keep your actors warm and busy and let them get their bad takes out of the way and, and all that. And then and then when you got your masters, well then go in close and make them shine bright. And I learned a lot from him and uh he was a very giving guy as well. Like he doesn't hold any secrets to himself. And uh, yeah, man, like I'm, I'm very inspired by my friends and I, I wish, you know, the next thing that you do, I'd love to help in any way. I'd love to be there. Even if it's in New York, it doesn't matter to me, but make something in New York while you can, man. Cause you got, I mean, it's an incredible, it's a cinematic town. Like you walk <laughs> around and with the right music, like you feel like you're in a movie, you know, you know that better <laughs> than me, but uh, go out there and do it brother. Because I, I, I love your work, and I think the best thing you've done is guys like us. I, I still remember Cracked, and I've seen it maybe twice. Um, but something, in a, and I'd love to have this conversation with you and your brother Marcus. I like Marcus's short films; like he's really good at them. He may not identify as a filmmaker per se or as an actor per se, but he's really good at them. He has a knack for it. But guys like us, which is like your first you know, you threw your hat in the ring, so to speak, your first thing, and it wasn't your first thing because you'd been like a fly on the wall on so many different productions and setups and all that. But 
what was, I don't know if I ever asked you, like, what was Marcus's reaction when you showed it to him? When, when you showed a complete version that you were confident with, like, what was his reaction? Because here is his little brother, like, making something, and he had to have, he had to have dug it. <clears throat> well, it, it's, it's funny you bring that up because when I finished an earlier cut of Cracked, I mean, not Cracked, Guys Like Us, um, it wasn't very good. It was like two and a half hours long. And, and I showed that cut to all the actors and like none of them liked it. Look, besides Alex, Alex was the only one that maybe saw the, uh, the forest and in the trees or whatever. And, uh, and, I, and I go with Andrew. I'm like, Andrew, like, what's, what's going on here? He's like, I don't know. And then we, we just keep editing it down and we got, we got it down to, there was a 90 minute cut. And I sent that one to my family and, and, uh, my cousins and all that stuff. And again, I don't, I don't think any of them liked it. And it was just, it was just kind of, it was kind of bizarre for me because I thought the film was really good. And I, hmm. I just, I was kind of down on it for like a minute. Hmm. And then I, I cut it down one more last time. I put it on Vimeo and the, the reaction was positive. You know, like people seemed to really dug it. I sent it to, to y'all and y'all seemed to really dug it. And, uh, and my cousin called me, my cousin Renee, who's in the film. And he's like, Hey, I just saw the film. And he's like, yeah, he's like, I really, I really like this. And he kind of tells me what he dug about it. And I was like, okay, cool. But like, as, as far as Marcus goes, I think, I think he kind of liked it. I'm, I'm not too sure if he was actually the biggest fan of it, to be honest. Wow. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. Cause, Cause you guys have made like at least 10 short films that I've seen. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, and I think it's just, it's more of like, of just different like tastes. Like I think the, maybe, the maybe he's too close to it and he's too close to you. And so he sees all the strings. Yeah, I, th- I think I think that that might be it. Cause, so me and Marcus sort of co-directed Grown Ass Men. Like he was like the obviously visionary guy of it. But it, if you watch Grown Ass Men, it's more like my my camera style than his camera style. If that makes sense. So we did that movie together, and I, I'm a really big fan of that one. And uh, and uh, all the the recent stuff he's done, like we've kind of done together. And I'm a big fan of his work. And uh, it's probably and a. Yeah. So, but I'm not too sure if he liked uh, guys like us. I think he might have actually like cracked better than guys like us. If I'm being, if I'm being honest. Interesting, man. Uh, well, I but, look forward uh, to your, I look forward to your next thing whenever and whatever it is. Uh, I'm gonna be there. Uh, oh, do Do you value the, the the theater experience? Like, do you see yourself screening it, or do you see yourself uh, digitally releasing it? I, I think I think I'm I'm mostly gonna probably stay in my lane of of digital release. I might do. A screening for something the the one regret i have and and you know i should have listened to you like a lot of times i probably should have listened to you more was i wish i did screen guys like us in a theater but i think um i think i always let the nerves get the best of me <laughs> i'm just always like i can't take any of this like like uh one time a bunch of my friends were over and andrew puts on guys like us and i'm just like oh no it's gotta get out of here <laughs> like there's something there's something I just can't watch with my movies sometimes. And I, and I love my movies, which is funny. Like, I think, I think they're, they're pretty great. If I, if I can say that about myself, but I don't know. I, I never got the, uh, I think I just always get too nervous <laughs> for, it for is, whatever reason. It, it is nerve wracking, man. Like, uh, the first time I screened a movie in theater, I, I was too busy to be nervous. I was thinking about the concession. I was thinking about the tickets and I got there and I was like, oh, I never even broke change. Went to the bank, broke change. Like I, you know, and I was just like figuring all these things out, making seating people and making sure everybody was good and making sure that the sound was good. And, and so finally, when it was like just about time to introduce the film and I sat down 
that's when the nerves hit me and I was like, wait a fucking second. I just conned everybody to be here. I just stole everybody's money. Like, holy shit, they're going to judge this thing. They're actually going to watch it. Oh, shit, they're going to fucking hate this. Oh, man, what if I got myself into? Like, these people aren't going to stay here. Certainly, they're not going to stay here and watch the whole thing. Oh, my God, they're going to see this one scene where I said this. Like, and everything started hitting me. And I was like, I can't believe I, like, what have I done? Like, but by then, it was too late. But uh, I'm really happy that 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 fright or that panic set in when, when, like, I was rolling the trailers. Like, it was already too late to go back. But, yeah. um but I, I, tru- I, was, I, I trusted the material, man, because as soon as my opening title credits came on, I was like, oh, all these fuckers are watching a movie, and they know it. And I just, yeah. let, I just let it happen. And so it, it was, you know, I, I, I suggest, you know, that you do screen it, even if it's to like 40, 50 people or something, because the feedback you get, even as a test screening, the feedback you get is that's where you learn. That's where you grow miles in experience and knowledge is the feedback that you get from them. So just uh think about that even if it's just a test screening you know and if you want to survey them and all that and get their feedback what scene didn't work what character didn't work or oh you didn't know that these two were brothers well hmm, maybe i should add an insert of blah 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 you know that stuff really does make the piece more refined uh when i screened her dop it was a two and a half hour cut i can't believe i got away with that and then finally <laughs> my my cut that's on youtube is an hour 55 so i cut 45 minutes of the movie and I learned that from the screening because I'm like, dude, there are sequences that just were just for me, you know, yeah. and and, and uh, it's really about them. And you don't know that to you to you're in the energy of a crowd. You, you, you know, you're totally right, because one of the things I took away from my cast and crew screening of guys like us was uh, somebody talks. So one of the actress girlfriend talks during the movie and she kind of gets upset that one of the characters is talking really bad about the town. And I was just like, you know what? I don't think I need that scene. I think the message gets gets conveyed without being mean-spirited. And I didn't want mm-hmm. guys like us to be mean-spirited, as you're kind of aware <laughs> when mm-hmm. you're watching the film. Mm-hmm. So I kind of cut out all the mean-spirited stuff of the film. Because, like, in, in a way, like, the film's about Westlico, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I love Westlico. So, like I, like, I can't have this resentment of this city I like you know, and I, and I love, so even though there's little things that I get bothered by Westlake, I can kind of show that visually without having one of the characters wax poetically about how lonely a city is, you know what I mean? And I think I, I only would have gotten that through a test screen. And so I I actually do agree with you a thousand percent. And, uh, and I, I do gain everything from every test screen and I do. So I probably should do more. Like I showed uh, my high school film to my whole classmates and, they were all turned off by this one experimental thing I did and I cut it out before I released it on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, hopefully whatever I do next, I, I'm, I'm brave enough to do that. And, uh, going through the whole process of, of, uh, my buddy Graham's film, shoot the moon. Like we've done like a few test screenings and, and it changes after every time. So, so I do think test screenings are extremely valuable and I do think showing the film to people and having feedback and you see their face is really valuable. You don't get that through an online message board, unfortunately. So yeah, I think, I think no matter what I do next, I'm going to, I'm going to screen it. Uh, if not the theater, but a room full of people, just so I can get a vibe of what everyone's kind of thinking, you know? Mm -hmm. Wow. That's cool, man. Uh, and, and I think that's crucial for sure. Uh, 
Well, brother, was was there anything else that that you wanted to to get at? I want like all wrestling style. I'm looking at the clock. We got like two minutes left in the match. Like I don't know if, if you wanted to get some more shit in, but uh, I, I love talking about filmmaking stuff. Like it is such a it it I, I understand that it's pretentious, but like filmmakers are the new gatekeepers now. You know what I mean? Like we got the power. It used to be. Uh, you got. You had to go to Hollywood. You had to go to L.A. You had to go here. You had to go to film school. You had to do this. You had to get the cosign. You had to blah blah blah. And now, like, I just feel so empowered uh, when I look at all the businesses and small businesses and the entrepreneurs that are trying to get noticed. Like, at the end of the day, they they needs to be documented. They need cameramen. They need people that know how to make a podcast. They need audio engineers. They need filmmakers to tell the, their stories. You know what I mean? So I feel really empowered uh, in my career now more than ever. And so, you know, I, I definitely want to spread that message. And anytime I can talk about filmmaking with another director, it's like I, the filmmaker needs to be respected. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want yeah. to be on a high horse about it or anything. But the truth is, like, th there's one 16-year-old that's going to hear this and be like, oh, I, 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 I've never thought about that. Let me go Vimeo that. Let me watch it and be like, oh, wow, this counts? Oh, I can make a movie. And then they go out and they do it. You know, that was me when I saw Slacker. That was me yeah. when I saw Kevin Smith's Clerks. I was like, this counts? Well, I could do that. You know, and I had the audacity to do it. I'm not saying I, I did, but um, all I no, want to no. do is just encourage the young bucks to go out there and take it, man, because it's theirs for the taking. Yeah, and uh, <clears throat> and I, I really want people to stress, like, if you're a young filmmaker and hearing this, like, watch her doppelganger, our, our guys like us are both, because I think, you know, I think I've told you this, but when I watched her doppelganger, I was just like, you know what? Like he sold out a theater and this is what the DSLR, which I was never a fan of the look of the DSLR, but there was something about her doppelganger that I really enjoyed it. And I was just like, I'm going to shoot guys like us at the whole DSLR and see how it works. Like I would say like 70% of the film is that, and I probably wouldn't have done that if I didn't see her doppelganger, you know? So, you know, I think there's something extremely valuable about watching no budget films mm -hmm. to kind of just see like, you know, you don't necessarily need the best sound equipment or video equipment to make a movie as long as you got a couple of ideas and themes you really want to hit and actually want to hit. Like mm -hmm. that's that's where the magic happens and everything else is is BS, you know. <laughs> I agree, man. Well, next time you you're in the middle of a project, you know, I want to have you on again and we can talk about it and uh, let me know what you want to do, man. Like I know you said that Austin, you it didn't really inspire you or maybe, uh, I don't know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but uh, it just didn't feel like the right place to, to set a movie. I understand that. One thing that, that I personally want to do that I have yet to do and I think it's going to be very difficult is um, is selling out a theater in Austin. You know, uh, I want to become a member of the Austin Film Society and I, I want to get in and I know they have a few theaters, whatever their biggest one is. I think it's under 400 seats. I could be wrong about that, but I, I want to sell it out, you know, and uh, I want to do a test screening back in back in the valley and uh, to sell a theater out here, not for the numbers, but just for like, wow, Austin people. Like, how do you do that? Like, I want the challenge, you know, and and uh, it's definitely something that I want to do. And and uh if you ever need any help with doing that i'm more than more than willing to help you out with that because it's i just want to i just want to see you succeed man oh for sure and um before i go i'd be uh kidding myself i didn't say i will be in austin in mid-april and i would love to uh 
to see you in person if you have time. I'll def I'll make the time, man. I'll be here in April, and so consider it done. All right, cool. I'm in. I love you, brother. Thanks for coming on the show, man. It means a lot. Oh yeah, it's a lot of fun, and uh, you know, don't be a stranger. <laughs> so I yeah, won't man. enjoy enjoy glass. Oh yeah, for sure. I gotta get ready for that in, in a couple of hours. But yeah, it was nice talking to you. Uh, good luck, whatever you're doing. At last I checked, you were working on something yourself. So yes, sir. You know, I, enjoy I, the podcast. I enjoy the videos. I find all your work really inspiring and cool. So uh, you know, it's great talking to you, and uh, have a wonderful day, man. Love you, brother. Take care, man. All right, love you too. See ya.